Welcome to the official show here on the Fist Stripes podcast. It is Eli Sussman, managing editor of Fist Stripes. Welcome to what I think will be my new routine from here in March, all the way through spring training, into the regular season, all the way through September, hopefully through October, if the Miami Marlins are still relevant then. This is going to be my solo pod schedule of the official show every Monday morning early Monday morning. We're hoping to get these pods out to you guys. A recap of the weekend, all things Marlins, and uh, my special focus on a couple nerdy Marlins topics, very specific Marlins topics as well. Trying to limit these episodes to about half an hour, maybe a little bit over. If you've been listening to this pod for a while, well, first of all, thank you for the loyalty to that. And you know that I have a lot of struggles with keeping my thoughts concise on these issues, but uh, there's just so much to do with covering the Marlins here on Fish Stripes that uh, I think I owe it to you and everybody else to try to be more concise. So hopefully capping this at around 30 minutes every Monday morning for you, just a small part of what's going to be our Fish Stripes podcast schedule. A lot more details on that coming in the next few days. We're going to hopefully do more potting than ever, ever before, and lots of people outside of myself Seems like the perfect time coming off the very first Marlins spring training game to just shout out everybody that is going to be covering the team with the Marlins this season. First, of course, my team at Fish Stripes, including uh, not even this isn't even the full list, but Louis Adio Weiss, Juan Pais, Nicole Cahill, Alex Krutchik, Ethan Badowski, Alex Contreras, Daniel Rodriguez, Hector Rodriguez, Kevin Kraskowski, Spencer Morris, Brandon Ligori. And more. Uh, we're going to have so many different voices on the pod, on our website, contributing on social media, covering the team in person as best we can. And of course, doing uh, what I, guess I think we do best, which is engaging with people on our site directly and on social media and being unafraid to analyze the team in all interesting ways, uh, which reminds me one final plug for my grading the off-season piece on Fish Stripes that went up on Friday. I decided that was the unofficial cutoff for the end of the off-season, and I gave the Marlins a C plus. I have about 3,000 words explaining how I arrived at that grade, so go check it out if you hadn't already. And, of course, outside Fish Stripes as well, all the other media colleagues that we rely on so heavily to understand what's going on with the team. At the Miami Herald, Craig Mish, Jordan McPherson, Andre Fernandez, Barry Jackson, great team over there. Danielle Alvarez Montez at El Extra Base, Alex Carver at Fish on the Farm, uh, Christina Di Nicola at MLB.com, and Joe Frasaro is still popping around here. He just debuted his new outlet, Man on Second Baseball. So you'll be hearing plenty of Marlins takes from Joe, as you have over the past couple decades. The Fish Bros at Five Reasons Sports Network, the Mainline Marlins podcast at Community Newspapers, and I could go on. I mean, it's going to be great coverage of the team from all these different sources, hoping to do a lot of collaboration. Oh, of course, um, Peter Pratt from the Miami Marlins UK and uh, Fish Across the Ponds podcast. Yeah, I could just go on and on. It's going to be great to hear from these people, collaborate with them, uh, interact with them on media calls, but also on social media 
that uh, it's, it's just a great time to be a fan of the team and to be covering the team. Uh, we start off by reviewing what happened on Sunday, which was pretty damn close to a perfect start to spring training in the Grapefruit League for the Marlins on the road against the Astros in West Palm Beach, winning 6-1, to one, taking the lead 4 to nothing in the first inning, and um, a little bit of drama in the bottom of the first. Other than that, they cruised. They, yeah, they made it look pretty easy, and contributions from a bunch of different players. I think overall we saw 23, looks like 23 different players. Um, most of the people that traveled with the team to this game on the road ended up getting in the game itself, and overall just a whole lot of fun. Home runs from Jazz Chisholm, from Lewis Brinson, from J.J. Bladey, and I mean, especially in the case of Jazz and Bladey, those are the two players almost as much as anybody else that people get so fired up to see be successful. They were successful last spring uh, in 2020. And once again, looking even more comfortable this time around. One, two pitches in the air, left field. Hit pretty good. Going back, still going back. Way back and out of here. An opposite field home run for J.J. Blade, And the Marlins have a 5-1 to one lead. Jazz, we know, has a good chance of making the opening day roster. Bleday should be up towards the middle of the year, maybe the end of the year. But he's someone that you know that I'm personally extremely high on long term. The game was started by Daniel Castano, went a couple innings as scheduled. Uh, a lot of drama in the first inning. I think he used 32 pitches, uh, but ended up limiting the damage just one run. And then the rest of the pitching staff, Nick Neider, who's also competing for a rotation spot, uh, Zach Thompson, Cody Poteet, and Tommy Eveld closing it out. Thompson and Luis Marte, an infielder. Those were the two players making their organizational debuts. Both of them signed minor league deals with non-roster invites over the offseason. And uh, most likely both of them will open up at AAA Jacksonville, but still good to see them contribute in some small way to this game. Um, for people that follows our off-season coverage. I was very bullish on Joe Dunant, and he came in off the bench and played third base in this game for a few innings and also recorded a hit. Good to see from Joe. Uh, two other players making, I believe it was their major league spring training debut, date drafted both in 2019, shortstop Nassim Nunez and outfielder Peyton Burdick. Both of them came into the game in the middle innings, and Nunez got on base, uh, stole second, moved to third on a productive out and came around to score. Burdick got hit by a pitch, but uh, seemed to be perfectly fine. Whenever Burdick gets hit by a pitch, you feel bad for the ball. You don't feel bad for Burdick with the way that he's built. Great to see. Really just a smooth win overall. I mean, of course, the caveat is who were they actually playing against with the Astros. You, you would have be very hard-pressed to recognize any of the five pitchers that uh, the Astros used from... Brandon Belock uh, to other names that I, you just don't really recognize that are very minimal major league time and aren't necessarily at the top of their prospect list. And even offensively, with the Marlins holding the Astros to just one run, um, Kyle Tucker had an impressive, I think it was a double, yeah, in that first inning. Um, Jose Altuve started the game as well. Uh, Jason Castro at catcher, but the majority of the players on their side as well were ones that are not going to be necessarily big pieces of their 2021 team, as expected. So just a great start. Uh, most teams around the majors were in action as well for this game. 
And um, except for, I believe, the Mets. The Mets were one, one of the few teams that were off, and the Mets make their spring training opening day game against the Marlins on Monday, Monday afternoon at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium. By the time you're listening to this, that game will probably be completely sold out, although uh, the stadium actually added some access to mini suites if you're willing to pay up a little bit and, and bring some friends along with you while, of course, keeping socially distance. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess I buried one of the leads here is that they finally played a game in front of fans here in West Palm Beach. Let's see, do I have the official attendance somewhere? Uh, well, we'll probably get that later on, but it, it seemed to be over a thousand people in attendance. And I, I, yeah, again, I think really the best aspect of all this that I haven't even mentioned yet is that we were able to see it live, almost live. It was about a 30 second delay or so on this live stream that the Marlins set up on their website. So I was able to send out some highlights in real time. Uh, on social media that I think people were pretty grateful for, and I was just ecstatic for it because this has been an unfortunate storyline surrounding the Marlins all offseason, the lack of clarity about broadcasting their games on Fox Sports Florida. Um, at this point, they do have a agreement with Fox Sports Florida on a new TV deal, but that hasn't been announced. The terms haven't been disclosed. For the moment, there are no immediate plans to air any of their games directly on Fox Sports Florida. So while people like myself are accustomed to streaming on MLB.tv, for the majority of people, they don't want to make that investment when they're already paying for Fox Sports Florida. So I completely understand that. It's been it's a frustrating holdup. I mean, hopefully by the very end of spring training, we get a couple of those games being shown on cable and on you know streaming packages through Fox Sports Florida. For the moment, the, the Marlins seem to be improvising with this live stream. It was just a single camera set up. Uh, it seemed to be set up right along the press box, a little bit off center down the third base side, and they synced it up with the radio broadcast so you could hear Kyle Seeloff on the call. I thought he did a great job. You could hear from some of the home run highlights that he uh, he's in midseason form already, so good for him. Um, a lot of the games will also be done by Glenn Geffner and, of course, Dave Van Horn during the spring as well. Uh, fun start to that as well. So I hope they stick with that streaming thing because it wasn't perfect. You know, when I tried to zoom in, it was really bad for trying to show the pitchers themselves. Like, I was trying to get a good angle on a Nick Neidert strikeout that got him out of a jam. I think it was in the fourth inning. And, of course, uh, the final out that Tommy Eveld got. And it's just, it doesn't look good because it's just too fuzzy when you're that far away. But I thought the shots were pretty decent for the home runs, at least. You could see the guys rounding the bases. And uh, you could follow the outfielders retreating and running out of room. It's it's certainly much, much better than nothing. And uh, as long as they publicize it a little more, for whatever reason, they were um, they publicized it through the Marlins radio social media accounts. Of course, because it is simulcasted with the radio broadcast, they need to do a better job promoting it. Of course, we'll be promoting it on Fish Stripes, but uh, I, they should make it easier for people to tune into that because it is a whole lot better than nothing. People are eager to watch this team coming off a postseason berth, which makes the dispute with Fox Sports Florida all the more frustrating that they're making so many of these people wait to actually see the team live and understanding that we're in a pandemic. People can't just buy tickets to see the games in person because one, the tickets are slightly more expensive than usual. And of course, because the capacity is a fraction of what it usually is due to COVID concerns and social distancing and all that is very necessary. 
really inconvenient timing, but uh, they're making something of it. And of course, when your team is winning, that just makes it all better. This is, I believe, the third straight year where the Marlins are uh, got an emphatic win in their very first game, and especially last year in 2020. They had, I think they had that very long winning streak during spring. People get irrationally hyped uh, about this, but um, I, I mean, if you really want to go deeper into this, it was interesting to see Jazz Chisholm and Isan Diaz both in the starting lineup. We know they're competing for essentially one spot on the opening day roster. Jazz had that home run. Isan's at-bats were not very inspiring. Uh, he was the first Marlin to strike out in this game. Uh, I think that was in the third inning, and uh, his other at-bat was not great quality contact either, but they did team up on um, one double play, and there was a second double play that was just Isan going around the horn. So there's just not a whole lot to learn from one game. Like I said, we already knew all this about Jazz, that he has the he has as much raw power as almost anybody when he actually gets it right. So, and Lewis Brinson, I guess we'll spend a moment on Lewis Brinson. This was his 14th career home run in spring training. To put that into context, he has only 16 home runs in his major league regular season career. A fraction of as much playing time in spring training, and yet six, and yet nearly as many home runs, 14 home runs in 208 at-bats. He's a slash line 317 career hitter in spring training with a 977 OPS. This is his sixth straight year hitting at least one home run in spring training. He's the king of spring. He should trademark that. I know he probably hates that nickname that we just came up with. It's it's very fitting, though, because he is, for whatever reason, just so extremely productive early on in spring training, especially early on. But really, like I just said, you look over the overall spring training stats and they're great every year. It's hard to really change your opinion on him. I know some people seemingly do that every year. You probably know where I stand, that I'm just extremely skeptical of that, and the Marlins have built a team where heading into the new season, he'll have a very small role if he even makes a roster at all. Uh, according to the, the roster projection that Ethan Bedowski put out on Friday, that's also up on Fish Stripes, Ethan, um, he tried to get Brinson on the roster. He, he, he considers Brinson really the first man, the last man out, or the first man out, like the 27th man, the one that is uh, going to be the most difficult to determine whether he makes it or not. It all depends how exactly the Marlins want to fill out their reserves because he he would be mostly riding the bench if he does make the roster at all, but has a minor league option left just in case. Plenty more time for us to talk about Brinson over the next month or so. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, one of the other subjects I wanted to get into on this pod was something that a couple other people have mentioned to me, losing track of where the former Marlins players are. Uh, this team has a whole lot of continuity dating back to last year, especially at all these key positions like in the rotation and for almost every spot of the starting lineup with the exception of Adam Duvall. 
you may still, though, be curious about where some of those players are that were with the Marlins last year. They used, I believe, just as about as many players as any other team due to COVID, of course, due to other injuries as well, and just due to uh, having to rely so much on prospects, some of which were successful, some of whom showed pretty quickly they weren't ready, that there was just so much turnover. So I could do a, a quick rundown, quick roundup, quick roundup of where some of these former fish are, members of the 2020 team and who they're with. Uh, this is mostly going to be in alphabetical order by last name. But of course, if you know me, we always start with Harold Ramirez, who was one of the last of the 2020 Marlins to uh, have a change of scenery. He is now with the Cleveland Indians. He was claimed off waivers when he was DFA'd uh, just about a week ago. And from what I've seen, I don't think he has been officially reported to camp with the Indians, and it doesn't look like he was obviously in their first spring training game, so we'll see how long that takes. Really tricky timing for him. But wishing him the best, we'll see. Um, some Indians perspectives that I've seen think he has somewhat of a shot of making the opening day, opening day roster uh, because their outfield has been a big point of weakness for years now. Best of luck to him. But now going in alphabetical order, reliever Brad Boxberger, he's with the Brewers on a, is it a minor league deal? It's one of those deals where he's very likely to make the opening day roster, but doesn't get a full guarantee right away. We have Adam Conley. Adam Conley, who was drafted by the Marlins, believe it or not, about 10 years ago. And we know that he was DFA'd in the middle of last season. He was formally released at the end of the 2020 regular season. He's now in Japan with uh, the Rakuten Golden Eagles. So their season starts a little bit earlier than MLB. And I would assume he's going to be on the opening day roster and in the rotation. I'll have to keep you updated on how that's going, but their spring training started earlier than Major League Baseball's, and the regular season will start sooner as well. Uh, Best of luck to him. I imagine he'll get some opportunities to start and be a starting pitcher over there as well. Robert Duggar. Robert Duggar was... DFA'd pretty early in the Marlins offseason and was claimed by the Mariners, which was his original organization who drafted him um, out of Texas Tech a handful of years ago before trading him to Miami. The the Mariners, uh, entering spring training, they DFA'd him themselves, and he passed through waivers unclaimed at that moment, and so he remains in the organization, uh, outrighted to the minors. I imagine he's still in their major league camp. Uh, best of luck to him. Uh, great guy. Recently got married, and someone who obviously struggled very, very much in his limited 2020 opportunities. But he's going to be valuable as just someone that can eat innings and uh, someone that I can understand why the Marlins got rid of him. But he would have had some role during the season. You just need that kind of depth heading into this full-length season. What we hope is a full-length season. Matt Joyce. Matt Joyce is with the Phillies on a minor league deal. Uh, Waited pretty late into the offseason to sign, and I've already seen him swing the bat in Philly's colors. Uh, someone that, I guess, he, it's a little more iffy if he makes the uh, their opening day roster. Uh, we know the Phillies, they have a whole lot of continuity, too, in their lineup, just like the Marlins do. So he wouldn't be a heavy playing time guy early in the year, uh, especially, though, if uh, there's no DH in the National League. Yeah, it makes it really tricky. For him, because that's where he was getting a significant amount of playing time with the Marlins at DH and in right field. The Phillies are pretty well set in right field with Bryce Harper, uh, but, but we'll see. I mean, he was a good influence on the Marlins 
last year. Similar story for Brandon Kinsler. Obviously, great impact in the Marlins clubhouse. You've heard me write and discuss about how it was disappointing that the Marlins didn't bring him back because they evidently wanted to bring him back, but they let the finances get in the way. He winds up with the division rival. He's not going to be closing games for the Phillies, at least at the start of the year. Uh, Just like every other team, they see that some of his peripheral stats from last year were discouraging, and uh, he can't be expected to convert every single opportunity like he did in 2020, but he is highly likely to make their opening day roster as a setup man, and uh, so we'll be, won't be interacting with the Phillies in any spring training games. They're a little too far north to be in the pod uh, for that the Marlins are in, which is in South Florida. The Phillies are kind of in Clearwater, so more of Central Florida pod. That uh, no, we'll have to wait until the start of the regular season to see either of those guys in head-to-head matchups. Catcher Ryan Lavarnway, he's with the Indians on a minor league deal. Um, very limited playing time with the Marlins last year, but he's been around a while. Brian Moran is with the Rays. He's, he's already had two separate stints with the Marlins, right? He came up originally in September 2019. They reacquired him last year um, after, well, I guess, let me get the timing right. I think they acquired him last year right after, like during the COVID outbreak to get him from the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays weren't using him in the majors and pitched very limited action for the Marlins last year before suffering a season-ending injury. If you know the Rays, they'll turn him into, I imagine, uh, a dominant sidearm phenom. That's their track record, always figuring out how to get the very most out of them. But in all seriousness, good luck to him, because the Rays, even when things are going well, they're an organization that uh, churns through a whole lot of arms at the back end of their bullpen to keep everybody fresh, to manage people's service time. And um, I imagine that he has a very good chance of appearing in the majors at some point this year. Right-hander Josh A. Smith, he is in Korea with the, in the KBO. He got a, a pretty decent one-year deal for himself that implies that he'll definitely be starting games over there. He was quietly among the most used relievers in the Marlins bullpen last year. I know he was pitching in a whole lot of low-leverage situations. And he got injured right before the playoffs, so he didn't take part in the postseason run at all. So he was very, he was hiding in plain sight, I'd say, during the 2020 season. Someone that has already been somewhat of a journeyman in his career before arriving to the Marlins. So uh, if he does well over there, it will hopefully give him the platform to jump back to Major League Baseball. Right-hander Ryan Stanek is with the Astros. This is a move that I understood when the Marlins essentially non-tendered him, even though uh, the price was right around less than a million dollars to keep him around. Uh, Acquired not that long ago from the Rays in the Nick Anderson deal, the Jesus Sanchez deal, a deal that so far is looking very, very unfortunate for the Marlins with how Nick Anderson has done and with the very early returns from Jesus Sanchez in the major league level. Stanek is, um, he got a guaranteed deal though from the Astros. He did not pitch in this first spring training game against the Marlins, but you know that these teams are going to meet six total times during spring. So odds are we will see Stanek at least once in head to head action against the Marlins this spring. He's got an incredible fastball, and when he's right, he's got a wipeout splitter as well. It's just, he was not himself with the Marlins. He could not get comfortable. 
Some of it he might imply was this, the situations that he was used, that he didn't like the role that he was in. Um, but you just look at the quality of the stuff last year, and it wasn't quite the same. And obviously the command wasn't as precise as it needed to be. So he's someone that I guess the uh, objective expert would say has high upside and good bounce back potential. But he was he was really a wreck at the end of last year. He could not be trusted whatsoever on a Marlins team that was so desperate to find capable relievers. So all the best for him. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he's going to haunt the Marlins in any way, even though he'll, um, almost by default, he'll be better than he was in 2020. But um, he's he's a little while removed from being the kind of pitcher that uh, you'd really try to have a big role in your bullpen, even though the Marlins had to use him in big situations by default in 2019. But he has a lot to prove to get back on track. Drew Steckenrider is with the Mariners. He was in the Marlins organization for eight, nine years before they had to DFA him. Um, Got squeezed off the 40-man roster, coming off an injury, I believe an elbow injury. Um, Not sure if he got surgery for that, but a pretty severe injury that obviously left him unable to pitch all of last year. I mean, good luck to to Steck. He has great stuff as well when when it's on, but he's just been totally unavailable for the last couple of years. Steven Tarpley got claimed off waivers by the Mets, um, pretty late in the offseason, uh, probably on the outside looking in at their opening day roster. Jose Ureña, we saw this coming a mile away, that the Marlins are going to cut ties with him, even though they had one more year of him under club control, that they're ready to turn over this rotation to the young guns. So they, uh, D- I guess they DFA'd him before they had to non-tender him, but essentially the same thing. They didn't want to pay him uh, $3.5 million. He signed with the Tigers for about 325 and he's been slow, I think, to get to their spring training camp, that he had some sort of holdup either with visa issues or with the health and safety protocol. So that could put his readiness for opening day in danger, but they have every expectation of trying to find a role for him in their rotation to begin the season. Alex Vessia got traded to the Dodgers right in the middle of February in the Dylan Floro deal. Uh, Vessia is someone that was incredible during his minor league career with every Marlins minor league affiliate, dramatically raised his stock from where he was when he was drafted originally in 2018. I can't say enough about his character and his work ethic, and he's certainly better than he showed last year with the Marlins, putting up an ERA that was north of 18 in limited action last year. He was someone that tested positive for COVID during the season, and we've seen the way that that can have unpredictable effects on somebody. So he, of almost all these players, Vessia is one of the few that has the potential to haunt the Marlins a little bit just because he has that track record in the minor leagues. And even though his raw stuff doesn't blow you away, the characteristics of his stuff, the spin rate on his fastball, and the command that he showed for most of his career to this point, uh, if he puts it all together, he could be a pretty great reliever at the major league level. Nick Vincent is with the Rangers on a minor league deal. Vincent had a very unusual season with the Marlins. He did pitch a lot after originally signing with them on a minor's deal. If you dig into the numbers, he was someone that in some ways got very lucky, in some ways got unlucky, that he was inconsistent at times. There were stretches where he couldn't miss any bats. There were other stretches where he was really one of the best relievers in the Marlins bullpen for short periods of time. 
but uh, he's your typical replacement level guy that, um, I guess with the Rangers, Rangers more so than any other team we've discussed, they're the one that doesn't really have any competitive aspirations this year. So he, he's got a good shot at sneaking onto their roster. And finally, because we're going in alphabetical order, right-hander Jordan Yamamoto. They were able to work out a trade after designating him for assignment. They got infielder Federico Polanco in return from the Mets. And uh, Yamamoto, if you follow him on social media, you know how proud he is to be with a team that really wants him. More so than I think anybody else, his 2020 season was a nightmare where he had the inside track at a starting rotation spot coming out of summer camp, and he just was not in condition to claim that spot. Originally started at their alternate training site, they called him up, and he was overmatched in every appearance that he made for the Marlins last year, only four of them. And you could just read the helplessness on his face and in his body language during that infamous 29-9 loss against the Braves. I'd say the odds are better than not that Yamamoto pitches to some level in the majors this year for the Mets. And so we'll be seeing a lot of him in probably in spring training, you know, six games coming up against them. And if not, definitely during the regular season as well. That uh, So that was a move that of all these, I, I wasn't too high on it, the timing of it. I thought the Marlins needed all the depth that they could manage, uh, especially on the pitching side, given that they went with this, philosophy of trusting their young guns that if you're going to do that you should have as many options as possible uh but ultimately uh, he ends up with a division rival so we'll see how that goes and uh, just some finally some really old friends that we haven't heard about in a while that are with new teams d gordon with the reds i think they're trying to use him as a shortstop potentially or at least a utility guy Justin Bohr, A.J. Ramos, Anibal Sanchez, they're all working out trying to get contracts for this upcoming season, but I think as of this recording, none of them have been signed yet, and uh, I'm, I'm just hoping in all three cases they go somewhere, because they're at an age pretty deep into their 30s that those opportunities are going to be far and few between as we go along here. Uh, Kyle Bearclaw is with the, the Yankees. I think a lot of people were caught off guard when the Marlins traded him. They sold low on him after the 2018 season, and he just hasn't been able to put it together since then. He's been with a couple teams on minor league deals. I don't think he was signed by anybody in 2020, and I just saw him pitch on Sunday with the Yankees. Gave up, he walked a guy, he gave up a run, uh, and we'll see, because there were stretches where he was absolutely dominant in the Marlins bullpen. Incredible strikeout potential. And finally, the versatile Derek Dietrich is with the Yankees. And he he posted this pic on uh, Instagram right with his new teammate and his former teammate reuniting with Giancarlo Stanton in pinstripes. It is a weird sight to behold because they were, of course, longtime teammates with the Marlins until just a couple years ago. Someone that I, I think will have a tough shot actually making their opening day roster. But he's probably just happy to be with a, a winning organization because he really hasn't had any luck whatsoever in his career to this point. After he left the Marlins, I think the first team he signed with was Cincinnati. And then he went to the Rangers last year. And in between, I think he was in spring training camp with another team. Um, the Indians, probably? He's, the Cubs. I think the Cubs. So he's been bouncing around in a limited amount of time. I think only, only about 31 years old. There still should be something left in the tank. A great clubhouse guy, very charismatic. So best of luck 
to him in New York. And that's going to do it for this episode of the official show. I, I told you I was going to limit it to 30 minutes or less. Plenty more coverage of Marlin Spring Training coming up on Fish Stripes, all of our platforms, fishstripes.com, Fish Stripes on our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and more. Plenty more podcasts outside of just myself. But this is going to be my solo time every single week, so I hope you enjoy it. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. Every little bit helps. We are committed to you and always adding new elements to our coverage to make it more valuable and more fun. As always, go fish. <laughs>